All right, we got tonight, and then we have tomorrow morning. We're going to be hearing one more sermon from uh, who used to be a pastor at Lakeview. His name is Jeff Earhart. I don't think he's here tonight. Is Kathy still here? Okay, there she is. Oh, and he's back there somewhere. I think he might be using the bathroom, y'all. You know what I'm saying. You didn't want to draw attention at the wrong time. But yeah, tomorrow morning we're going to hear from him. And then tonight we got this sermon, and then we're going to be playing, or we're going to be doing our talent show afterwards. Y'all excited about the talent show? It's going to be a lot of fun. Say again. Sign up for the talent show. Now? Not now. A little later. Sign up for the talent show later on if you haven't already. And uh, if, you, if you have your binder, go ahead and open it up to maybe the last page. Is that right? Where the notes are? Okay, good. And we're going to be talking tonight about the lion again. Christ, the lion, and the lamb is where, where we've been. Okay, so the first night, just a quick recap. Everyone look right here. I want to remind you guys. We talked about Christ coming on the clouds. And one day, the very end, the future where it's all going to land, we know how it's going to be figured out in the end. There will be a judgment day where he'll divide two groups of people, and to some he gives eternal life, and to some eternal separation and death from him. Separation from him. And then we found out last night, we talked a little bit about the past, Christ the Lamb, and how he came in our place for our sins. And from the beginning, all the way from Genesis, remember we talked about all the way from Genesis when that first animal skin was covered upon Adam and Eve, there was a substitute in place. And so what Christ did for us in the past, 2,000 years ago, was take our place for our sins. And then we're going to jump back into Christ being the lion tonight. And it's kind of like this. Okay, we know about the future. We know about the past. Now what? And this is where we live. We live in the middle now. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20. We're going to start in chapter 27. I I don't have that note in there, but I do have it on the screen. Uh, Matthew chapter 27. But I'm going to pray and ask God to open our eyes before we read the Bible. Y'all, let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing us here and for helping us to understand you more through your word. And God, I ask that you would open the eyes of the hearts of all of these students tonight so that they could see you more clearly and that they would love you more deeply. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Matthew chapter 27. And before this, I just want to say one thing. Have you ever thought about how strange it is? And we talked about this. Christ says, I'm going to come and judge. You ever thought about how strange it is where he predicts one day I'm going to judge all people and then just a very short time later he was killed by those people? You ever seen somebody who got in a fight with somebody and said, I'm going to beat you up, but then they, they got beat up? You ever seen that? And it's kind of comical. It's kind of funny to watch something like that happen, or maybe you've seen it in a movie. Well, that's kind of what happened. Jesus predicts that there's going to be this final judgment, and then the people that he's going to judge and separate those types of people far from him in eternal judgment 
those same people then come back and put him up on a wooden cross and kill him. And you've got to be thinking, the disciples are like, bruh, didn't see that coming. Right? Didn't see that one coming. And they also probably did not see the next move coming either. They, not only did they probably not see the cross, but I bet you they didn't see what was coming next. And let's look at what's coming next. And so in verse 57 in chapter 27, so this is right after Jesus was crucified. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph Zaringer, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So there's this rich dude, and he follows Jesus, and Jesus was just killed. Rich guy, he's probably got some sway in the community. He goes to the guy in charge and says, hey, that guy, he's a dear friend of mine. Can I have his body, please? And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen, I'm sorry, clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb. So Joseph had a place that he was going to get buried. But instead, he took Jesus and buried him there. You got to remember, it was just a couple days before Jesus was saying, Hey, y'all, don't worry. I'm going to come one day on the clouds, and I'm going to line everybody up, and then I'm going to separate some out this way and separate some out that way, and I'm going to have the final say. This just a couple days ago. And then right now we find ourselves, those same disciples are like, what just happened? How are we in this position? This guy who's not even one of his closest friends, who's a rich guy, he's getting all this money. He, I mean, he's got all this money for his own tomb, and he's burying Jesus in it. What is going on? This doesn't make sense. The disciples of Jesus have to be confused. They're going to lay the body I mean, it's similar to like in New Orleans, you know, we dig underground most of the time to lay bodies underground. And it's like they, their disciples have to be watching those grave diggers and then down goes Jesus into it and then the dirt on top. I mean, you tell me, if you watch something like that happen, what do you think is going to happen next? Nothing. Right? Nothing. That's what's going to happen next. You go on about your day. You move on with your life. You make new friends. You have sad memories. You get sad about it from time to time. But nothing's going to happen. It's not going to change. That's got to be where these people are. So he laid him in the tomb, which he had cut in the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb, and he went away. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite of the tomb. So there's this massive tomb, and the big old rock rolled in the way and his body's in there set to decompose it's underground new orleans style and then they leave and then mary magdalene and the other mary are just sitting there and what do you think they're thinking <sighs> it was a good run where they're thinking i thought my life was going to be different i had trust that this man was who he said he was he said he was going to be the most victorious one. He said he was going to overcome. We were riding on his coattail. He was the hope of our world. And now he's in a tomb. That doesn't make sense. The next day, 
That is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. So this is the same guy. Remember, Pilate is the one who Joseph of Arimathea Zeringer. He went to Pilate and said, hey, can I have the body? And Pilate said, yeah, you can take the body. So Pilate knows that this man was dead. He watched this whole thing unfold. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and they said, hey, Pilate, sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, and he's talking about Jesus, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, or his disciples are going to go steal him away and tell the people, he's risen from the dead. And that last fraud will be worse than the first. So Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. I mean, they were, they were bent on making sure that this thing was final, done, done, done. No one was coming with a shovel in the middle of the night is what they were making sure was going to happen. No one's bringing a shovel to dig up this body, to get that casket, to take the body out, put the casket back, put the dirt back in, and then to say, he rose. Nobody's coming to do that. So put a bunch of guards around it who have swords and shields, and if anyone comes with a shovel, kill them. Now, they didn't have the shovels and they didn't have the dirt, but that's our version of it, right? But no one's coming to roll that tomb away. That's the big idea. And so they go, and they do it. Chapter 28, verse 1, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week. So real specific. So it's like Sunday morning, almost sunrise, but it's still dark outside, right? You get the picture. Remember Mary and Mary hanging out, guards at the tomb. Joseph of Arimathea is probably laying in bed all night thinking to himself, I can't believe it. The disciples, who knows where they are? They're depressed, they're sad, they're thinking, I thought, man, he said he was coming on the clouds. Now he's, he's in the stone with a big old boulder in front of it, like, that's it? So right then, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. You think the guards could stop those angels from rolling that tomb back? Probably not. Remember Jesus said, remember what he cut off? Peter cut off the ear. We talked about that a couple nights ago. And Jesus said, hey, put your sword away. Don't you know that I could call down tons, thousands of angels, and we could handle this thing right now? One angel drops down. And he rolls the stone away. It's unfolding in a way that was not predictable. It's an unpredictable situation. So he rolls the stone away and then he sits on it. Mary and Mary are there. The guards are there. Pretty serious and scary situation, I would imagine. Somehow, the dirt is going to come up is what it seems. And maybe the cloud and the judgment seat will come to pass because some things are starting to happen. 
And behold, there was the great earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now what I want to do, I just want to observe over the next many scriptures, what are the responses of all the people who interact with this resurrection? And there's a bunch of different responses that happen in just like a couple short paragraphs. So the first one we see is those guards who were the tough guys, right? These were, this was the Paul Loria up in the tree last night. And, they, and Harlan would shine the light and that he was the tough guy up top and he would just shoot pickle juice on you. Those were the, these are the tough guys with the sword and the shield. And this is their response. They fear, first of all, because an earthquake happens, an angel descends, he rolls back the stone, and then he sits on top and he probably just looks at him. And they feared and they became like they were dead. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, they're just like overwhelmed, like dead men. And they're probably just laying there. I mean, who knows? But they're gone. There's a physical response to God doing something on the earth. An earthquake happens, a descend, a, a, an angel descends, and these guards who were the tough guys, they, they're fearful and they are like now dead men. Okay, so let's see what some other responses are. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Some people should be afraid of the resurrection and act like dead men as a result. Some people should not be afraid of the resurrection because they seek Jesus. So there's some who will be divided that way in the judgment, and there's some who are divided that way in the judgment. And the people on this side who end up being cast from God for all of eternity should be fearful like dead men. And it's not good news that the resurrection has taken place and they have not put their faith in Him. But it is good news, and they don't have to be fearful. Those people who, when they hear the story of the resurrection... They are afraid, but they have joy at the resurrection because they seek to follow Jesus. And the angel assures those women, do not be afraid like those knuckleheads on the ground over there. You seek Jesus. You have nothing to fear. Put yourself in that place. Imagine for a moment that you were there and you felt and saw the earthquake. Imagine that you saw the angel drop out of the sky, and then physically roll the stone back and then sit on top of it. And then you watch these guys drop like dead men. And then you watch the angel interact with these woman, women to say, you have nothing to fear. That would kind of freak you out. And it would freak you out in one of two ways. Either you know there's trouble coming if you have crucified this Christ. If you have not put your faith in him or... There is great hope and great joy because what he said he would do regarding the judgment and the future, maybe in fact it's going to happen. And what he's going to do in the judgment is he's going to finally 
put his foot on all sin, on all death, and that great serpent who deceived Adam and Eve from the beginning, one day he will come from the clouds, and in the form of judgment, he will stamp out 100% sin, death, the devil, his demons, and along with them, unfortunately, those who do not put their faith in Christ. And that is bad news for those who do not put their faith in Christ. But for those who do, it is the best news because you now know that death will not reign anymore on this earth. Death will not reign in those that you love. Death will not reign over Christ. There will not be a, a savior in the grave. Sin and sickness and all the curse and all the negative things. And your life, man, you know what it feels like. It's all gone. And that is the best news. And God recreates things to be the way he always intended them to be prior to sin. There's no greater news. And so the angel says, you have nothing to fear. When do they have nothing to fear? He's not referencing after the judgment, but right then and there. And yes, it's true after the judgment as well. But he's speaking to them in life. Now. For those of you, and this applies to us, for those of us who follow Jesus, there's nothing to fear. What do you fear? And man, we got a lot of them, don't we? But the good news is this. The resurrection of Jesus puts into the grave, replacing Christ, puts into the grave our fear. Puts into the grave our disappointment that Christ can't or won't. Mary and Mary came that Sunday morning at dawn disappointed. They had to. They went to mourn their Savior. And then they find themselves in a situation where their disappointment and fear is buried because Christ has been resurrected. And He, again, is their hope and future. And those other things are not. That is the good news for those of us who follow Jesus. And let's see what else continues to happen. The angel says, he's not here, for he is risen, as he said. You know, Jesus predicted his future and ours. Jesus said it. I'm coming back. He predicted it. And then he didn't just say, I'm going to rise from the dead. He said, I'm going to come back on a cloud. And we're going to finally, utterly finish it. But it's not going to be in the sacrificial lamb way that we learned about last night, where at the hands of sinners, in God's plan, that he would be crucified and be made to look weak by all of us. We would look upon someone like that and say, that is... He died in weakness, but rather the finishing touch will not look like weakness. It will look like strength. It will look like a roaring lion that will not be beat. He said it. He predicted it. So he's not here. He's risen. As he said, come and see the place where he lay. Could you imagine being there? You need to see this. Could you imagine the angel inviting a man and saying, come.
come and see where he used to lay, where Joseph was supposed to lay, where Christ, in fact, did lay. And then you go in and he's gone. He's gone. And swords and shields were there and guards were making sure that there's no other way that he could be gone. Imagine walking in. What would you feel about your faith if you walked into the tomb where Jesus was and you yourself saw him on the cross and he was crucified? He was dead. He was gone. There was no life. They put a spear in his side and out came liquid and there was no response. I mean, he was dead, dead, dead. But if you walked into that grave and knowing that it was impossible for him to not be there and he wasn't there, even though you knew you saw him there, but he wasn't there anymore, what would that do to you? Would that make you believe more in Jesus? Would that make you believe that, oh, if he can conquer that, then he can conquer anything? And it should if it doesn't. And every day we should be reminded of that good news because it's that good news that gives us hope and faith even through difficulty in life. So come on in and see the place where he laid because he's gone. Then go quickly. So he tells him, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See? Told you. I like that. See? I have told you so. So go, and again, remember, go quickly and tell his disciples. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. So, and, and where were they going? And ran to tell his disciples. Let me tell you the, the proper, the appropriate response of Christians when they learn about the resurrection of Jesus. They have great awe and fear at his power, his amazing ability. They are overwhelmed with joy that he conquered everything that seemingly conquered him, which means they are following a man who is who he said he was, and then what do they do? They run and tell their friends. There's a possessive thing. Once we encounter the resurrection of Jesus, it should not look could you imagine Mary and Mary going back and being like, well, that turned out a little differently than I expected. You want to play cards? Like, what would you think they would do when they found that out? You think they would go back where the tomb was over there and they just kind of sat across? Like, bro, that was crazy, wasn't it? You think that would have been their response? The appropriate response is... They ran. Our lives should not look like going to sit back down and talk about life. But often, it does, doesn't it? And we become, I mean, could you imagine them going to sit back down and be like, nice shoes. What you want to do later? Did you hear what he said? I think she was I think she likes you. I mean there's all sorts of things they could have filled the time up with, but wouldn't that have been weird? But that is kind of what life looks like after we learn about the resurrection. 
we sit across from the empty grave and we just think about what <laughs> very superficial things. Have you ever had a response that looks like running with great fear and joy to tell your friends? And does your life reflect that type of interaction with the resurrected Christ? And if it doesn't, tonight is a night where God is gripping you and reminding you that there is an appropriate response to the resurrection. And it looks kind of radical. It looks a little bit crazy. So they run to go and tell their friends. Verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them and said, so they're going the way Jesus is going, and then he meets them. And basically says, yo! Also known as greetings. And they came up, and here's another appropriate response. When you listen, when you meet the resurrected Christ, and we meet him in every worship service. We interact with him every time we pray. We interact with him every time we read the scripture. We walk by his spirit every moment of the day. This is what our lives should look like as Christians. Greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. You know what they did? They dropped to their knees, held his feet, and worshipped him. That is the right response to Jesus overcoming the grave. Setting you free from sin and death. Saving you from the line of people who will be eternally departed from God. The appropriate response is hitting your knees, grabbing his feet, and worshiping. And I know it's hard to get up and spend time with God because you're tired. But man, every day, there should be moments like this in our lives. Where we're dropping and worshiping Him when we interact with Him. And then they, they, Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. I mean like twice now. Because you should be freaked out. You, rightly so, you should be freaked out. If Jesus is back alive, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. So apparently those guys didn't actually die. They were just like they were dead. So they get up and they go run to tell the bosses who had overseen this whole improper execution of this man. you got to imagine, like, imagine you and a few friends kill someone. And that person comes back from the dead. You should be freaked out. And you probably know there's going to be trouble. And so they go running back to the big bosses. They told them, and when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Here's another response that you'll see from people. They will lie about Jesus. See, there's a bunch of responses we're seeing. 
to the resurrected Christ, a bad idea would be to lie about it. A good idea would be to tell the truth about it. So they gave him a bunch of money, and they said, just go tell everybody what everybody kind of thought was going to happen. That his disciples came and stole him, and here's a bunch of money for it. It's funny. Money was given to crucify Jesus to Judas. Money was also given to shut people up about his resurrection. Like, someone needs to tell someone, money isn't going to stop the judgment. These guys didn't learn the first time. They probably didn't learn the second time. But the same story is here. Stuff on this earth is not going to stop what is going to happen. The judgment seat of Christ that you and I will all stand before, no amount of money is going to stave that off. No possessions, no things, no beauty, no attractiveness, no attention that you receive from other people. And also, you might have been victimized, you might have been abused, you might have been taken advantage of. I don't care. None of that is going to prevent Christ coming in the clouds, on a throne to rule and reign and to divide people in half and to say to you, you depart from me forever. Yeah, but I, remember we learned in Matthew 25, but when did I even know you needed clothes? When did I not visit you in prison? When did I not give you something to drink or something to eat? Because if I'd have known, I would have done it for you. And he has a response. And the response is basically like, too bad. When you, when you didn't do it to them, you didn't do it to me. And that's kind of, man, we could all bring our own thing to Jesus, couldn't we? And say, yeah, but, but none of those responses and none of the money is good enough to stave off the truth of God's reign through Christ for all of eternity. He will have his way. He is a lion. He will overcome, even the money. So let's continue on. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. And you know, there's a lot of other stories that have been told about Christ. It's not just that one. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. We've seen that response before. But here's another, his disciples. But some doubted. So there's another response. Even his own disciples a response that they had as some were worshiping, or maybe as even they themselves were worshiping. They also, something in their heart was like, nah, I don't, I don't think. Do you relate to that? Is there a side of you that there's this worship and there's an acknowledgement of like, you know, I see others worship, but man, there's something I don't know still sits in me right here. I mean, even them, 
<laughs> they were looking at the man, and there was doubt. Can I tell you, just because you're doubting doesn't mean it's not true. And you need to know that. Doubt coming into your brain about Christ and his throne and his resurrection does not equate to you knowing that it's not true. It's not the same as saying, that is now what I believe. And sometimes these fiery darts will hit your head and you'll start thinking to yourself, well, maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe if I'm having these thoughts, then these things are not true. Can I tell you that even the disciples, when they heard and saw Christ's resurrection, even there was some doubt there still. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean they didn't continue to worship him. That doesn't mean they didn't believe in him. There is something on this earth, maybe that's going to stick on the inside of us because of our sinful nature and the temptations of this world. Doubt has its claw in us sometimes. But that's not reason to give up. And tonight, for some of you, maybe is a night where you... You are interacting once again with the resurrected Christ through his word, and it's time to lay aside doubt and to worship. That would be a good response. Some worship, and then some even doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, and we're going to wrap up right here. So this is kind of where we want to land. I mean, it's really important, y'all. If you, if you were there on the side, and you saw Mary and Mary, you saw the guards, and then you saw the earth, you felt the earthquake and watched the angel drop. You watched them roll it away, sit on the top of the tombstone. Dudes fell out like they were dead. Angel starts talking to Mary and Mary. You watch them run as a response, well, first of all, they go into the tomb and they see he's not there. And then you see them book him. And let's say you start booking it with him. And you're running right there with him. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, well, I don't know how he came out of somewhere, but he says, yo. And you're watching this interaction and you see their faces. And no doubt they are weeping. They hit their knees. They grab his feet and they worship him. And he says the same thing to them that the angel said, like, don't fear, but go tell my disciples that I'm alive. And they continue to run. And they go and tell the disciples and they say, this is where Jesus wants you to meet him. There's going to be a meetup and you need to go to that meetup. And then you watch the disciples hit the meetup place. And then Jesus interacts with them and you see them hit their face and you watch them weep and worship. And a couple, maybe three of them look around and they're like, I don't know, man. It's, you, I mean, you're watching all this stuff. And then Jesus steps in to speak. Like, and this is it. This is going to be the last thing to say. And then he ascends. So what he says right here is very important for his disciples to hear. And apparently it was very effective. Because the money that was given to the soldiers to tell the story all throughout that whole region didn't work. And the story that these men had to tell was a more truthful and a better story 
that more people believed probably in that town as we see in the book of Acts or in that area that the church began to grow. And maybe not more, but a lot of people. And then we're here 2,000 years later, we're sitting in a place talking about the same story, talking about Mary and Mary, talking about the one here. I mean, this is 2,000 years later. We're still telling the same story. Whatever Jesus had to say, man, it worked. Right? It worked. I'm fruit of that. You're fruit of that. And so also, now I'd like you to take yourself from the side and then put yourself in the place of those disciples hitting your knees, worshiping him, kind of doubting. But then listen, because what he's about to say to you matters. And it's the direction of your life now. Now. You can't do anything about when he's sitting on the throne. You can't do anything about the crucifixion anymore. But you can do something in terms of a response to his final words to you, his disciple. You can do something about that. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Remember Daniel chapter 7, the first night? And one like a son of man was presented before the ancient of days. And to him was given all authority, dominion, power. And his kingdom, there would be no end. So Jesus' first words to his disciples are just a reminder. Hey, y'all remember way back long time ago when Daniel was telling or there was a prophecy about and you remember I said I would be that son of man coming on the clouds I just told you that a few days ago look at me it's all been given to me they killed me I'm back all authority like death can't even conquer me the grave cannot stop me money Deception, lies, none of it. Personalize this. Those of you who are in Christ and Christ in you, those things have been defeated. They've been defeated. But more importantly than that happening in our lives, this is who he is. It's all been put under his feet. He goes on to say, go therefore and make disciples of all nations what a shame it would have been if those women who were told to go to tell the story of Jesus would have just sat back down and been obsessed with shopping or their career or their kids or their husbands what a shame it would have been if they would have been so comfortable and just sat there and said, I, I know I should go and talk to the disciples about Jesus now, but man, there's just other things I want to do with my life. There's other things I care about more, and it really doesn't look like Jesus. But what great news that they did, in fact, respond properly to both the angel and then to Christ to run and tell. And then Jesus meets his disciples and says the same thing. But what a shame it would have been if those men, those 11 disciples would have sat back down and said to themselves, I don't know, y'all. We're in our 20s and 30s. We're pretty young. 
We have a bit of life to live. Let's go have fun. Man, let's just do like, I don't know. Let's do some stuff that makes us happy. Let's just pursue education and career and like let's focus on the things that God has given us and we're talented in and obviously Jesus chose us and we're kind of special. Let's just enjoy life. (laughs) What a shame it would be. I mean, could you imagine being the person on the side watching all that stuff happen and what if one by one those men would have just sat back down on a rock and moved away from worshiping Jesus and then watch your lives unfold over the next one, three, five, ten years. And it's like the interaction never happened. What a shame that would have been. That would, that would be like people looking at a king with no clothes on. Remember Hans Christian Andersen, night one? And saying, those are beautiful clothes. People sitting back down after experiencing the resurrected Christ and acting like the resurrection never happened is like looking at a man who's wearing no clothes and saying, wow, what beautiful clothes you have on. It would just be foolish. But this is what it's like to be a Christian who after experiencing the resurrection, you just go sit back down and you go back to school and you care about sports and education and friendships and style. And if she's looking at you, and if you're pretty enough, wow, what a shame it would be if people who have been saved by God's grace and experienced the resurrection of Christ would be so consumed and selfish that they would forget about the purpose of their life, which is to worship Christ and then recognize all authority has been given to him. Now, go. And what if the next one year, three year, five year, what if they went? And they did. They went. The book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, those same men, a book was dedicated to the works of the Apostles of Jesus Christ and and the The Gospels tell the story of Jesus Christ. They wrote about it. And then you see Paul is adopted in to be an apostle. And you see him writing to the churches. And you see a flood of men go out, a flood of women go out who are obsessed with the call of God. Are they still fishermen? Yeah, probably so. Are they still Lydia, or who was making the purple linen we talked about a few weeks ago on Wednesday night? She had a job. She did great things. Of course, they lived their lives normally, but they were obsessed with the right thing first. Christ. Christ. Is that you, or are you the one who just went back to sit down on the rock and started talking about fashion and social media obsessions. And you spend hours gaming and fooling with social media, but none of that time is spent worshiping at his feet, holding on to his feet, and then getting up and running and living your life explicitly for Christ. All authority has been given to me, now go. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them 
to observe all that I have commanded you. So he's giving them instruction. And this is what they go do. Do you know that this is your instruction? And it doesn't matter if you're 15. I told you all this a bunch. I was 16 at a youth camp sitting right over there. And that's when God told me through the Holy Spirit that I was called to preach. 16 years old. Just a kid like you. I was gripped and I worshipped and I heard that word to go and I decided in that moment by God's grace this is what I'm going to do I'm going to preach about Jesus I'm going to tell him tell people about his resurrection what a shame it would be if you did not respond properly to his words of instruction Yeah, but I don't know enough. Okay, then grow, learn. Yeah, but I don't have a lot of words to say. Okay, just grow and learn and watch God build you to be able to fulfill the things he wants you to fulfill. Don't worry about how it all unfolds. Just hit your knees, grab his feet, and believe in him. And then go. And then here's maybe the best part. And behold, I, the lion and the lamb, right? Christ, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the thing. What's crazy? He doesn't just bounce. He doesn't just roll out. But then he sends us to inhabit inside of us his spirit. And he, the lion and the lamb, lives with us here now on this earth to go and to teach and to baptize, instructing people. He is here, man. He ascended after that. But he didn't leave us. The Holy Spirit is here within us, giving us strength also to overcome, like Christ. And yes, also to overcome the grave, like Christ. You know, one day, you're going to be put into a box, and if you die in Louisiana, you're going to be six feet down if the Lord decides not to come back before then. And you're going to be in the earth. And guess what? They're going to throw dirt on you and a headstone on you and grass on you. And no one can get you out. It's done. Over. But one day, when he returns, he sucks up all that is in the earth. And maybe maybe you're going to be cremated one day. And you're not going to be in one place, but maybe you'll be spread abroad and your ashes find themselves at the bottom of the Arctic and the Pacific. And God takes all of that stuff like he did with Christ and he puts it back together and gives you, like Christ, a resurrected body. The story of us is the story of Christ. 
And we overcome sin and the grave through his spirit. One day, in a miraculous, bizarre, weirdo, like, whoa, 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 whoa. Earthquake, dude coming down, people here at the field. Oh, my gosh, giving money away to shut people up. Like, the story's crazy, it's wild, and it's the same story for us. This is amazing. So it's like, look, y'all, we have this little sprint in front of us. Bruh, make it last. Make it worth it. Run hard. Run fast. Be obsessed with Christ. Give him your all. Appropriately respond to go and preach. Stop being obsessed with the little things. The fact that you're worried about not forgiving people, though Christ says forgive them, shows you you're you're warped and wrapped and still believing the lies of the enemy. The fact that you're so obsessed with people's opinions of you rather than who you are becoming in Christ by His Spirit. And you're so obsessed with how people look at you and if they think you're cool and pretty, if they like you and, you, and you're going to end up in a relationship with them. And you're so consumed by talking to those people. And social media is your passion. What a worthless life to live. You may as well go find a rock and just go sit down and die. <laughs> It's like when you see, wow, this is Christ who has come again. It's like everything changes. Now, don't go sit down on a rock and die. But that's like seeing that happen. It's like, what? There's got to be more to it than that. And this is what we're called to. And we're not alone. And we look around this room body of Christ here today and we are with and among we're not alone in the spirit inside we're with and among and we're not alone y'all this is it's called the gospel which is called good news what means good news this is good news good news let's all stand All right, I guess we'll do a little song, Stephen. And I want to I wanna give you guys an opportunity to respond. And this is kind of where I want the response to go. I, I, was, I was thinking earlier and praying a little bit about like, like kind of like asking a question really. It was like, God, are there, are there young men and young women who are going to be there tonight? who you have called to vocationally as their job to preach the gospel. And I don't know. There was no response, like, by the way. Um, But I don't know, but that was like, I was curious. And so maybe even tonight, with illumination of something like this, maybe God is going to open up someone's eyes or multiple people's eyes. Um, Maybe some of you young men are called by God to be elders in either this local church or you may move away, but it may be in a different local church. And and it's very clear what an elder is and, and there are very specific qualifications.
But maybe some of you young men one day will lead us at Lakeview Christian Center or in another local church. Or, or maybe you will find yourself like Ben and Jen Osanak in a season of time in the future going around away from the United States and finding yourselves in another country to do just what Jesus told you to do right before he ascended. And maybe some of you young women are going to marry a man who is called to preach the gospel and that you are called to support and to fan that flame for him to preach the gospel. It's a beautiful thing. And there may not be a lot of you. It just might be one or two or five. I don't know. But I just want you to, where you are, that's one of the responses I want you to be conscious of, that, that maybe the Lord would put a seed in your heart. It's not like the kind of thing that you walk away and go tell all your friends, oh, guess what, y'all, it's so cool. God called me to one day be in the ministry or to, to marry a man who's in the ministry. It's probably more like a seed that he drops in your heart. And probably it looks like something like going to maybe one of your parents or going to an elder in our church or going to someone in the ministry that you're in in youth and maybe saying like, can you just pray with me over the coming days, weeks, months, years? Because I don't know. felt like a seed got dropped into me around doing this for the rest of my life as those disciples did. And listen, there's nothing... There's nothing less prominent about not preaching the gospel vocationally. Guess what? I don't. I work in a restaurant. I cook burgers, y'all. There's nothing less prominent about that. God has just called me right now to do the exact same thing, but in a different way. And so I want to say there's a second group of people, too. And it's probably most of you. And it probably won't look like that. But it should look like you cook burgers and fries, but you find yourself in places and the ways in which, like I'm called to be here doing this, and it may not look like this, but the way in which you're called to do something, you do it. You're obedient to it. You give your time, and you preach the gospel, and you lead Bible studies, and you start a business, or you work for some other business, and you represent Christ in that community. But it should look like a radical response to the resurrection. It should, this, between now and the judgment, when he comes rolling in on the clouds, between now and then, or when you hit the grave, it should look like Mary and Mary sprinting to tell of the gospel. It should look like the acts of the apostles who were told, go preach. It should look like that. That's what your life should look like. So there's another response. And, and you don't have to come up. Don't feel any pressure. And if you do, don't come up. But if you do see, hmm, I wonder if the Lord's putting a seed. This would be an appropriate time to respond. You know what I did? I remember I, I slipped up and I was right there slipped up to the front and you can do that too in your own chair or you can slip up to the front sit down, maybe close your eyes and pray 
And it might not be ministry, but it might be a radical call to live your life for the gospel. So let's pray. And then I would encourage you to step out if you'd like or to sit down and to pray, to be silent, to talk to God. And then maybe some leaders will pray for you as well. And uh, we'll do some singing. But I'll, I'll pray. God, we thank you for the great story of the resurrection. God, help us to have open eyes, spiritual eyes, to always remember every day the story of the resurrection. The earthquake, the angel, the stone, the running, the money to pay off the story, the 11 who found themselves at his feet, and then his instruction to them. Help us to remember that that is for us. And God, for the students in here, and maybe it's just a couple, maybe it's one or five, I don't know. God, who you have called to be pastors, shepherds, elders, missionaries, preachers, teachers, small group leaders, worship leaders. God, those people you have, and it's all of us, God, but to those people, would you grip their hearts right now regarding the call that you have upon their lives. And it looks like an overcoming, conquering call. Father, help them respond in faith. So, if you would like prayer, or if you would like to respond, or if you just want to sit and be by yourself for a few minutes, that's also super cool. But respond however you like, and we'll sing some worship, and we'll, we'll take some time to pray as well.